Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out. You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Talk Chicago. Great to see all of you here with us across all of our great radio and TV affiliates in Illinois and Indiana. 98.3 The Life, WKAN 105.5 The Ticket, ACTV, JTV, WJOB, City's 92.9 Talk FM. I'm John Zaglul. John Meadows is directing and producing. We have so much to discuss here tonight. The Bears have hired a new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, comes over from Seattle. What's his business? We'll discuss Matt Eberflus defended Justin Fields in offensive coordinator interviews. How old are we? We're going to discuss that, too. Plus, the Baseball Hall of Fame voting results have come out. Billy Wagner, our guy, came three votes short. Just horrible. But he was close, and I think next year will be his year. All of that's going to be coming up. You can follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. We've had a nice uptick in subscribers as of late. Uh, you can like the video, subscribe to the channel as we do our best to get to 20,000. Want to open up very briefly by letting everybody know here that we have officially signed all the papers and gotten the contract ready. 98.3 The Life, Round Lake Beach, Illinois, is now an official affiliate of Sports Talk Chicago. So we welcome in this new audience. We are going to be airing there on Friday mornings from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Pretty primetime slot in the mornings. And we are so excited to be a part of this new station and to really cement our presence in the northern part of Illinois. We've been doing our best to try and get up there. It's certainly been a struggle, but 98.3 has been unbelievably caring and well and has treated us well throughout this whole process. I want to give a special thank you to Lou Bruno and to Rusty Silber over at uh, 98.3. They've gone undergone a rebrand. They have a new studio up there. They have a Twitch stream. You can watch them on Twitch now, twitch.tv slash 98.3 The Life. They've got a legitimate operation going, and as they continue to expand, we're excited to be a partner with them and be along for the ride. They have been very gracious, and we just want to sit here for a second and and really thank them and and welcome this new audience to the Sports Talk Chicago family. If you're unfamiliar with us, I think you're going to enjoy what we bring to the table. And as far as on 98.3 goes, we're going to compliment a sports show on Saturday mornings hosted by Rusty Silber from 8 to 10 a.m. So we're going to be on 8 to 9 a.m. on Friday mornings. His show's on Saturday mornings from 8 to 10. So a couple of sports shows in the blocks on the case for 98.3. We're glad to be there with them. And, of course, we're glad to expand our affiliate list. Now we got seven stations in total. we got our great partners across Kankakee, Joliet, Wilmington, Aurora, Bloomington Normal, Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland, uh, it is amazing. And there's more expansion to come on top of that, too. So uh, the fact that we're already at 7 is just amazing. And we're going to get to more, and we're going to cover and blanket, hopefully, more of the state of Illinois, parts of Indiana, hopefully even out into Iowa and southern Wisconsin as well. We're working on all of those stations and all of those areas. But thank you, 98.3. So glad to be a part of their family and so glad to bring Sports Talk Chicago to all of you in northern Illinois. Um, how exciting. And another 
feather in our cap here at SDC as the SDC syndication network continues to expand. So we're excited and um, we're ready to go. New audience, same old bears, unfortunately. I'm just kidding. They actually made a decent hire here as they hired Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator. Now, we did an offensive coordinator video last week. Um, it was before the Bears had actually interviewed Cliff Kingsbury, who was my favorite for this job. But I'm not fully opposed to Shane Waldron. I'm not angry about it, believe it or not, so don't worry. I'm not going to be all negative or pessimistic. I don't think this was a bad hire. If I had to categorize it, I'd say this was the safe hire for the Bears. It wasn't flashy. It didn't pop off the page necessarily, but here's the positive. You know what you're getting with Shane Waldron. I'll explain that in a second. Here's what Matt Eberflus had to say about adding Shane Waldron to the staff. He said, quote, we are excited to add Shane to our coaching staff. Eberflus also said, I also want to thank all the candidates we spoke to throughout the interview process. This was a very exhaustive search, which it was. But in the end, I'm grateful the journey led us to Shane. He's a great teacher and communicator with a diverse coaching background among some of the game's most elite head coaches. I look forward to partnering with him as we build out the rest of our staff and get him started here. As we know, Waldron brings a lot of experience to the table. He uh, spent three years as the offensive coordinator in Seattle, uh, saw the team go from the last year Russell Wilson through the Geno Smith era, which I would argue was quite successful, that transition and eventually where they are today. So we're going to talk about that in a second. Waldron's star across the league, though, has risen due to his coaching efforts with Geno Smith. Waldron said also, quote, I appreciate this opportunity given to me by Coach Eberflus and Ryan Poles. We can't wait to get to work at a franchise with such a storied history and passionate fan base. And accordingly, uh, Waldron setting up some interviews as we speak with former staffers of his in Seattle, including Chad Morton, Sanjay Lal, and Kerry Joseph among others, to work under him. Sanjay Law is actually a respected guy around the league in terms of uh, quarterbacks, quarterback coaching. So maybe he'll end up getting the job or at least getting an interview. That'll be something we follow as well. So the Bears grab Shane Waldron. The Bears make the safe but not flashy move, but yet still, I think, make a smart one at the end of the day. They make a smart move. Let's look at Shane Waldron's time, at least in Seattle, as a blade. Now, this past year, they went 9-8. and eight. Similar to last year. Last year, they made the playoffs. This year, they didn't. This year, their offense was 17th in football. Last year, though, under Geno Smith, it was 9th in football. And his first year in Seattle, calling plays, it was 16th. That was at the end of the Russell Wilson era in Seattle. And I will say this, Russell Wilson, even in that year, say what you want about Russell Wilson, he had 25 touchdowns and 6 picks that year. And quarterback production as a whole, for Seattle that season, in Waldron's first year calling plays in Seattle, was a combined 30 touchdowns, 7 picks, and a 103.1 passer rating between Russell Wilson and Geno Smith after Wilson got hurt. And obviously, Geno Smith balled out in 2022, set Seahawks records for passing yards in a season. That's right, he even beat Russell Wilson's record and had a quarterback rating of 100.9. And even this past year, although the offense overall was 16th in football, Geno Smith had a decent year, and when he couldn't play, Drew Locke even stepped up and did okay considering the situation. In addition, Seattle at the running back position at Kenneth Walker, 23 years old, who is not highly touted at all, run for another 900-plus yards this year. He split carries with um, Zach Charbonnet, who had 462 rushing yards. And then Geno Smith even added 155. So here's the thing for Shane Waldron. 
And here's the thing that I like when I look over his resume. Obviously, the experience is number one, but especially in Seattle, he knows how to find production out of players who many would consider subpar. And that's my take with Waldron. Am I convinced that he's going to rebuild this Bears offense? No, but nobody should be. I mean, I have skepticism about anybody who would come in here unless you're talking about Jim Harbaugh or maybe, maybe Cliff Kingsbury if Caleb Williams was drafted, right? There's going to be skepticism no matter who comes in, no matter who's going to be the next OC for the Bears, and now it's going to be Waldron. That's understandable. That should be expected. I'm not going to sit here and anoint this guy to be the guy right away. <laughs> not going to make the same mistake I did or many others did with Luke Getzey which obviously didn't work. But I will say this. Waldron's track record, his respect across the league, and his ability to get the absolute most out of people like Geno Smith or Kenneth Kenneth Walker, Drew Locke even, Russell Wilson. That speaks volumes about how good he is as a coach. Usually when you judge a coach in football, any sport, the primary thing that I look at besides the you know, did he win? Does he have the horses? Is can he get the maximum out of a player? Can he get the best possible results about every player that succumbs to his leadership? And I will say this Geno Smith, before he went to Seattle, was a career long backup quarterback who was obviously a bust and who had no future in football besides being a backup forever. He failed miserably in New York, and ever since then just continued to bounce around the league with no plan, no aspirations, nothing. He had nothing until they went to Seattle. Geno Smith came in during Waldron's first year calling plays there. Russell Wilson's injury, and Geno Smith, in limited time, put up five touchdowns and one pick. Smith battled for the job the next year against Drew Locke, won the job, won the NFL Comeback Player of the Year award, and passed for the most yards ever in Seattle Seahawks history, 4,282 in one season. Added 30 touchdowns. And a playoff appearance without Russell Wilson. (laughs) The last time Seattle made the playoffs without Russell Wilson was was when Matt Hasselbeck was quarterback. And they went 7-9, and and Marshawn Lynch was running in that big game in which they upset New Orleans. That's the last time Seattle made the playoffs without Russell Wilson. They did it last year with Geno Smith as their starting quarterback. What world are we living in? (laughs) The Seahawks with Geno Smith, not with Russell Wilson, not with Marshawn Lynch, not with Matt Hasselbeck, made the postseason, and Geno Smith won the NFL Comeback Player of the Year award. Oh, and he set a franchise record for passing yards in a season. All of that occurred under Waldron. And then in 2023, Seattle didn't make the playoffs, but they did go 9-8 and eight again. Geno Smith didn't match what he did the year before, but he also missed two games, still put up 3,600 yards. He probably could have gotten a 4,000 again if he had played all 17. And the quarterback production from Seattle this year was still a 90.7 on the passer rating scale. That's combining Smith and Drew Locke in terms of passing yards and passing attempts. You got that production out of Geno Smith and Drew Locke. I rest my case. And this is not me saying that 
I'm a full believer. I think he's going to be the guy. He will fix Justin Fields or help develop Caleb Williams, whatever the case is going to be. But I will say this. I'm not going to question anything yet because this guy has enough of a resume to justify the hiring. And there's no way you could skate around that. I will say that emphatically. There's no way you could say, this guy sucks, he's bad, I don't believe in him, when you look at what he's done and his body of work in football. Seattle wasn't his first rodeo. He's been around the NFL for 20-plus years. He's called plays for a number of different organizations. Now, that could scare you. Why has he gotten fired so many times? Or it could motivate you and say, well, he's either moved on or he's gotten fired, but yet he keeps finding work. He keeps finding work. It's different than somebody in the NFL gets his one shot that never finds a job again, like Josh McDaniels, right? That guy just sucks as a head coach, and we all know it. It took him 12 years to get another head coaching opportunity. He couldn't even last one year in Las Vegas. Waldron goes from team to team, continues to get hired, and over the past three years did a lot of good things in Seattle. The record was around 500, of course, but look what he was working with and look from an offensive perspective what he got out of that team. I mean, that's impressive. You think Luke Getzey's going to get all that out of Geno Smith, right? If the shoe was on the other foot and Luke Getzey was calling plays out in Seattle? No way. No. No way that would happen. Shane Waldron got the absolute most out of every player that he coached over there. Kenneth Walker wasn't supposed to be a big-time running back, big-time pick. And Kenneth Walker has been great for them. He rushed for 1,000 yards last year, 900-plus this year. Last year, didn't even play in all 17 games. He played in 15. And even in Waldron's first year, the Seahawks had nothing in terms of running backs. I mean, they had Chris Carson, Alex Collins, Rashad Penny. Adrian Peterson got carries. (laughs) He had absolutely no weapons. No weapons, and look what happened. So I'm not going to criticize this move by Chicago. I'm skeptical because people like Brian pulls him at Eberflus endorse him. But in terms of legitimate production, this guy knows his stuff. I'm not going to crap on him for doing what he's doing and doing what he's done. Does this mean he's going to be a sure thing? We don't know. But it does mean that based on paper, based on resume, based on experience, based on output from players he's coached, he's certainly qualified enough for this job. And that's what I like about this, too. I have criticized the Bears many a time on this program for doing a college of coaches type approach, right? Hiring everybody with no experience and saying, oh, okay, let's see how it goes. For once, they went outside of the box and hired somebody with vast amounts of experience. It's actually the opposite of what they've done in the past, even at the coordinator position. Luke Getze, rookie, right? Luke Getze was a rookie offensive coordinator. He was a passing game coordinator, not an offensive coordinator, and that crashed and burned. Shane Waldron is a proven commodity in terms of being an offensive coordinator, and I will say this too. If it doesn't work here for him, it's not a Shane Waldron problem. I can tell you that unless things go catastrophically wrong, it's not going to be a him problem. You can't criticize somebody who's had success at four different places, four different organizations, and and a guy who's been around the league for 20, 30 years. You can't. So, you know, the Bears actually made a foolproof hire here. They really did, because 
Waldron has so much experience and so much success with many different teams in football. He's highly respected around the league. So if things don't go well, it's really hard to blame him. It's probably going to be on the quarterback or the offense or the people that he has because clearly he's able to do something with nothing. He's able to make Geno Smith Seattle's all-time leading passer in the single season. He's able to have Kenneth Walker be somewhat of a star running back in Seattle when he shouldn't have been anything. He was able to coach up Russell Wilson in his final year in Seattle to put up a 103.1 passer rating. He was able to do all those things in just three years and add a playoff appearance. And you know what? For that Seattle team, a playoff appearance is a pretty damn big stretch nowadays. They don't have Russell Wilson anymore. They had Geno Smith. I mean, they were supposed to be so bad in 2022. They were supposed to suck. They went 9-8 and eight, made the playoffs. And this past year again, I know they didn't make the playoffs, but for them to even go 9-8 and eight again, that's pretty impressive for that team based on who they have on their roster, based on personnel alone. They should not be 9-8. and eight. They should be more like 6-11. and 11. But Shane Waldron got everything he possibly could out of that offense every single year he was there, whether it was Russell Wilson, Geno Smith, Drew Locke at quarterback, whether it was Kenneth Walker at running back. They still found ways to get production out of a lot of those players who probably should not have put up the numbers that they did. That's impressive. That's commendable. That's something we should be celebrating. And if he could do that with Geno Smith or Drew Locke or Russell Wilson or Kenneth Walker, why can't he do the same here in Chicago? Whether it's Justin Fields or Caleb Williams, whether it's Khalil Herbert, Darnell Mooney, there's so many guys who the Bears unfortunately just underutilized last year or guys who just not did not put up the numbers that they should have put up. And that's a fact. Darnell Mooney had a tough season. Justin Fields, you can say whatever you want. He had a tough season. And if he stays, we need to see some sort of improvement out of him. So this was a good hire by the Bears. This was a smart, shrewd hire. I like it. I'm not opposed to it. It's better than picking somebody with no experience and saying, hey, trust us. They did that once with Luke Etsy. That didn't work. And the Bears for years have always gone on the budget hire list, hired people with no experience, and said, okay, let's see how it goes. For once, they choose experience. For once, they choose legitimacy. For once, they choose a pedigree. Now the question is, can he reform this Bears offense? That's going to be a challenge no matter what, but I'll tell you this right now. If it doesn't work... I'm not going to blame Shane Waldron. If he could do it with Geno Smith and Kenneth Walker and Drew Locke and Russell Wilson, and I'll tell you what, he could do it here too. Depends on how the Bears treat him and what they provide him with in terms of ability to call plays and actually run an offense. We'll be right back here on Sports Talk Chicago. We have so much more to discuss. Apparently, during these offensive coordinator interviews, Matt Eberplus was vehemently defending Justin Fields. How old are we? How old are they? We'll discuss in a minute here on STC. Hi, everybody. Sports Talk Chicago. Back at it with you. John Zaglul, John Meadows, directing and producing. Great to be on all of our great affiliates on radio and TV. We have a new one in the mix, 98.3 The Life, up in Round Lake Beach, Illinois. Please give them some love. Follow them all over. Great to be on with them Friday mornings, 8 to 9 a.m. every single week. And, of course, all of our great affiliates who've already existed. WKAN 105.5 The Ticket, ACTV, JTV, WJOB. 
Cities 92.9 Talk FM. You can follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago. Find us on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the like button. And if you miss any of this show, we're already on the second segment. Go back and podcast it. Go to sportstalkchicago.com. Go to your favorite podcasting platform. The show is separated by segment. Or you can listen to the full show in one big bite. So if you're going to be driving for a bit or out and about, you want to listen to 48 minutes of me yelling in a microphone, you can just go to podcasts and download the episode for free wherever you get them from. So great to have a new affiliate, too. I'm going to keep plugging that for the rest of this program. 98.3, great people, Lou Bruno and Rusty Silver. And um, we're excited to be having a presence in northern Illinois right around Round Lake Beach. So really be sure to support them, too. It's great to add them to the flock here. Seven stations on the SDC syndication network, and we're not done yet. So it's it's exciting to continue to expand here and uh, push this program out to more people. So we talked about Shane Waldron. Shane Waldron is in the building. And Shane Waldron is the new offensive coordinator. That's fine. I actually am not opposed to the hire. Here's the interesting thing, though. I'm going to read this for you from NBC Sports Chicago. And here's the headline. Report. Matt Eberplus defended Justin Fields in offensive coordinator interviews. Wait, what? I'm just reading the headline there, but Heberplus had to defend Justin Fields. For all of you Fields lovers out there, you're going to get pissed off, but I'll tell you what. The fact that you have your head coach vehemently defending you in offensive coordinator interviews, that tells enough. That shows me enough about who Justin Fields is and whether or not he's the guy for the Bears. You could like it or not. You could take it or leave it. The fact is, if you're a head coach, I mean, do you think Robert Sala's in, you know, hiring the offensive coordinator saying, oh, man, you got to keep Aaron Rodgers. Do you think Matt LaFleur is going to be hiring a new offensive coordinator? He's going to sit there and say, man, you got to keep Jordan Lump. What about Jim Harbaugh? Just got hired by the Chargers. Man, you got to keep Justin Herbert. No, because they're actually good. No, there's no need to defend legitimate star elite quarterbacks. But the fact that you have to sit there and defend Justin Fields to everybody who walks in the door to interview shows that there's a problem with him. If you're defending somebody, then there's a problem that needs to be fixed. There's an admission here. This is an admission. Read the headline. Read between the lines. This is an admission from Matt Eberplus that Justin Fields is not the guy. Hello. Look at it. We're going to read some of this article, too. In a story published on Tuesday, Albert Breer reported that the Bears head coach Matt Eberflus kept Justin Fields in his pitch to potential OCs. Eberflus did defend Justin Fields in the interviews, as I understand it, Breer said. And now we have commentary and, you know, classic mainstream media arguing about Justin Fields, whatever. The point is, Eberflus did defend Justin Fields in the interviews, as I understand it. That's what Albert Breer said. I'm going to trust his sourcing and trust his reporting. How sad is that? Because, again, if this is Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love, Justin Herbert, I mean, there are many other quarterbacks we could argue with too, right? Guys who you just know are legitimate quarterbacks. Jared Goff, right? I would argue Jared Goff is in that list now. Josh Allen to an extent. The Bills hired a new offensive coordinator tomorrow. 
do you think Sean McDermott's going to sit there and say, well, you got to keep Josh Allen. Please keep Josh Allen. I like Josh Allen. No, he's an elite quarterback. Or Aaron Rodgers, Robert Sala looking around. I don't know who I should hire. Oh, well, you better keep Aaron Rodgers. You got to keep him. I, I implore you to keep him. No, this is an admission of guilt. This is an admission of, you know what? I don't really know if he's the guy. The fact that you have to defend him, and we've talked about this all year long, the fact that anybody has to actually sit down and argue about Justin Fields is enough to say he's not the guy. We're going to talk about the Hall of Fame next segment. If you have to sit there and debate and say, I don't know, there's a case, but there's not a case, then guess what? He's not a Hall of Famer. Same thing. If you have to sit here and plot all the numbers and really scrutinize and find one thing that you like and then say, yes, this is why, and you've made all of this research and all of these caveats, then he's not the guy because the real world doesn't rely on caveats. The real world relies on reality, numbers, legitimacy, statistics, results, results. That's what this world relies on. 10 and 29, those are results. Those are results. That's real. Oh, but he did this. He did that. He did it. No, 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 no. 10 and 29. 10 and 29. <laughs> Never a 3,000 yard passer. Now, those are results. That's the reality of the situation. Whether you like it or not, it's the truth. You could sit there and crap on me, you could sit there and get all angry. It's the facts. Okay? You can't deny it. Sorry. And I can't believe this report came. I mean, I've never seen this before. First of all, let me let me start there. I've never seen a report like this ever. And I know I'm not that old. Maybe you guys have seen it and I'm too young. But I've never seen a report like this where there's a report that comes out and, you know, a team leaks or whatever the situation is. The report comes out that, oh, when they were interviewing an offensive coordinator, the current head coach was defending the current quarterback. I mean, that's unbelievable. You have to sit there and actually get down and grovel with these coaching candidates. And it's so funny, too, because we talked about this last week on this program. If I were an offensive coordinator, I would want a sure thing. I would want a situation in which I would be safe if the head coach got fired. And I'll tell you this, the safest opportunity for an offensive coordinator is going to be if there's a new quarterback. That's going to be the safest opportunity. Right? Because if... Let's say next year the Bears go 7-10, and Aberplus is going to be gone and Poles might be gone. The offensive coordinator, if he does well with the quarterback, he might survive. Maybe Caleb Williams comes to the Bears next year. They go 8-9, and nine, but Williams passes for 4,000 yards. That's not Williams' fault. And maybe the offensive coordinator survives. But if he comes into a situation where it's like, hey, rehab Justin Fields, make him throw for 3,000 yards, do this, this, and this, and it doesn't happen, he's going to get fired right away. Along with everybody else. Because if the Bears go 7-10 and 10 next year with Justin Fields, Matt Eberflus, Ryan Poles, and Shane Waldron, everyone's going to get fired. Everyone's gone. There's no way around it. So, I don't understand why, to this day, even after this report, we got people still defending Fields to a fault. I'm okay if you're just a fan of him. Again, we've talked about vandalism. Hey, if you're a fan and you just love Justin Peels as a guy and, hey, you think he's a good kid, good quarterback, fine. But you can't deny the facts. That's all. You have to at least acknowledge that this report came out, and others like it, too. You have to acknowledge he's 10-29. and 29. You have to acknowledge he's never thrown for 3,000 yards. You have to acknowledge that 
when interviewing new offensive coordinator candidates, and they interviewed a lot of them, Matt Eberflus is in every interview defending him. Defending him. Oh, here's why you got to keep him. What is this, a freaking sales pitch? How old are we? What is he, five years old? Come on. This is football. This is the NFL. These are grown men. This is adults here. And we're sitting here defending people. And saying, no, this is why you got to keep them. Here are the caveats, right? Here are the qualifiers to why things didn't go well and why you should stick with Justin Fields. It sounds like just a losing business pitch, a losing sales pitch. And if I'm sitting in one of those interviews, if I was an offensive coordinator, I'd just walk out. I mean, you got to be kidding me, right? Because when you walk into something like the Bears have right now, when you walk into this situation, if you're an offensive coordinator, you want a clean slate and a creative license. You want the ability to go off script. You want the ability to have your own quarterback. You want the ability to, I don't know, actually call a pass play and have it be a pass. Or have the ball completed downfield for more than 15 yards. Well, Justin could throw downfield. Well, he can't find open receivers when they're standing there waving their arms around. So what are we talking about here? And this is not a personal attack. You're all going to think it is. It's not. This is just the reality. We have to see the truth in this. Even if you don't like it, I know it hurts. I know it doesn't sound right. I know you love Justin Fields. That's awesome. That's great. You're allowed to like him, and I'm okay if if we disagree. That's fine, but you can't deny these reports. You can't deny these facts. You just can't. And for this report to come out, I mean, (laughs) again, I can't believe it. Let's see what it says here, too. It says, quote, um, some have taken this report as a sign that the Bears may may be leaning towards trading away the number one overall pick and retaining fields. I don't think so. I think this is the opposite. Really, there's not much we can glean from the line without knowing the real nature of the conversations. Further, it wouldn't make much sense for the Bears to start talking poorly about their QB, regardless of what they truly think of him, because if they're trying to entice an OC, it would make the most sense to pump up the QBs already on the roster, and, you know, there could be trade value there, too. That's my commentary. Of course, they're not going to come out and say, hey, he sucks, get rid of him, because they may want to trade Fields, as they should. And Mel Kuyper Jr. said a couple of weeks ago that Fields may even fetch a number one pick or a top uh, first-round pick. If you get a first-round pick for Justin Fields and you don't trade him, you're a moron. You're a moron. So there's a lot on the line here and a lot going on, as we know. And we're going to be covering all of this stuff from January all the way through the draft and beyond because I'm curious to see what the Bears do. I have a sick feeling they're going to stick with Justin Fields. I just do. I got this sinking feeling inside of me. But – Day by day, the case for keeping him just gets worse and worse. The tides are already turning in media, which I'm surprised they're turning this early. I saw a popular media outlet here in Chicago put out this video yesterday touting how it has to be Caleb Williams for the Bears. Where was this two months ago? You put this out two months ago, you get murdered on Twitter. Now, all of a sudden, it's popular opinion. So the, the waves, the tides of the sports media in Chicago are shifting as they always do, because nobody could stick to a point. So it's becoming more and more realistic from a media perspective that the Bears are probably going to take Caleb Williams and trade Justin Fields. 
I think that's what they should do, whether you like it or not. But day by day, the reporting gets worse and worse for the Bears in terms of keeping fields. As we sit back and look at his career in Chicago, you can't argue or you can't deny the 10-29 and 29 record, the never throwing for 3,000 yards, the 40 games in a Bears uniform and nothing to show for it. You can say what you want. There's nothing to show for it besides a five-minute highlight reel. That's it. A cool hype video. <laughs> There's no real numbers or real results. Now combine that with the fact that as the Bears interviewed 10 offensive coordinator candidates, they had to sit there in every one of the interviews and defend Justin Fields to a fault. Yeah, not a good look. Not a good look. Might be a good look in their opinion in terms of maybe trade value or Matt Eberflus really sticking up for his players. But in terms of reading between the lines here, this is not a good look that your head coach has to vehemently defend you as other people are interviewing for the job to coach the quarterback. Why do you have to defend him? If he's that good, there doesn't need to be a defense. You think, I mean, I'm going to go to this extreme, but let's be real here. Do you think when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which they made an offensive coordinator change last year, do you think they were sitting there saying, hey, when you come in, um, don't give it to Tom Brady, okay? you got to keep him. Do you really think they were doing that? No, of course not. And they wouldn't do that for Aaron Rodgers or Justin Herbert or a lot of different quarterbacks in football. A lot of different quarterbacks in football. So why are you doing it with your supposed elite number one top pick quarterback? If you have to argue about Justin Fields to this day after 40 games of watching him play and frankly fail, then he's not the guy. No secret. I'm whispering it because you think it's a secret. It's not a secret. He's not the guy. If it's 40 games in and he's 10 and 29, so 39 games in, 10 and 29, never threw for 3,000 yards, coach has to defend him to eight different people who are interviewing for the offensive coordinator position. He's not the guy, people. Let's wake up and see it. Let's wake up and see it. I wish him the best. I really want him to succeed. I hope he goes to Atlanta, goes to a QB needy team, and maybe he works out. Maybe he doesn't, too. Then who's going to be to blame? Oh, he had another offensive coordinator. If they keep him this year and he doesn't do well, the blame's going to go again on the offensive coordinator. You can't blame another offensive coordinator for Justin Fields' inept quarterback play. You can't do it, especially with Waldron. You know why? Look what he did with Geno Smith. So there's no more safety net for Fields if he is ending up staying. And I'll tell you what, if he performs like he did this year, next year, I'm not going to be impressed. I'm not going to be impressed with 2,400 passing yards and 17 touchdowns and 10 picks. And add 10 fumbles to that mix too. Oh yeah, in the fourth quarter, patented fumble or turnover. Pick, whatever. I mean... I'm not going to be impressed if we see the same stuff from him. And then the excuse is literally going to be, I I see it already because I know how the media works. It's going to be, well, he had another offensive coordinator. It's his third one in four years. He had Nagy first. Then he had Getzy. Getzy tried to screw him, and now he had Waldron. No. Nope. I'm too old to understand that. And I'm 23, and I'm too old now to know that that's BS. 
Give me that crap. My goodness. I'm sick of the spinning, the spinning wheels from fans and media pundits and everybody in between. I'm down to have a civil conversation. You know that. And I always have been on this program. But I'm not down to hear spinning upon spinning upon spinning, and then all of a sudden I hear, oh, yeah, Justin Pills is an elite quarterback. I have people commenting on these videos. I have people telling me on social media. I have people DMing me. Oh, you're way off. Justin Fields is elite. Elite. Okay, yeah. For a guy who hasn't even thrown for 3,000 yards in a season, he's an elite quarterback. How delusional are you? Come on, people. No, 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 no. He's not elite. And it all goes back to this report. All of my outrage on this segment goes back to this report. If you, as a head coach, have to defend a lame duck quarterback, and you're a lame duck head coach, and you're defending, I guess, both of you, a new offensive coordinator candidate, you've already lost. You've already admitted guilt and defeat. That's enough to show there's an issue here. And this is not a well-oiled machine. Please, let's see it. Let's stop defending mediocrity. Those fans are so addicted to mediocrity. Let's expect greatness. Let's expect, hey, I want a 4,000-yard passer, and Justin Fields is never going to do it, right? Let's expect record-breaking quarterback play from the Bears. It starts now. And unfortunately, whether you like to hear it or not, Justin Fields is not that guy. Carry on. We'll be right back at Sports Talk Chicago. Our buddy Billy Wagner did not make the Baseball Hall of Fame. Who did? We're going to break down voting results give our analysis on all the guys who made it in. Don't go anywhere. Sports Talk Chicago. Here with John's Glow back at it. Last segment of today's program. John's Glow here hosting. John Meadows directing and producing. We are live all over the place on all of our great TV and radio affiliates. WKAN 105.5 The Ticket, ACTV, JNTV, WJOB, Cities 92.9 Talk FM, and our new affiliate, 98.3 The Life, up in Round Lake Beach, Illinois. Hit up all of our great affiliates. Help them, support them, follow them on social media, and listen to our show on them throughout the week and weekend. You can follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago, and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, hit the like button on our videos, and subscribe. We are uh, gaining subscribers quickly, which is awesome. We have a goal of 20,000. We're about 1,300 away, so every single subscription helps as we are on the road to greatness here on STC. We appreciate all of your help. We appreciate all of you guys for hanging out with us. And tuning in, we had a heavy Bears discussion in segments one and two. The Bears obviously hired a new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, and Matt Eberflus took it upon himself to defend Justin Fields during the OC interviews. You can listen to those two segments on the podcast. Go to sportstalkchicago.com or find us on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. You can listen to the show by segment or listen to the full show in one swoop. Either way, your needs are going to be met on all of those great platforms. We're going to end with baseball. Yes, baseball. And get this, three players made it to the Baseball Hall of Fame this year. But one, a friend of this program, I'm going to admit my bias now, did not make it, and he missed by three votes. The BBWAA and the Baseball Writers Association of America, they announced who made the Hall of Fame this year in baseball. The following made it in. Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, snooze, and Joe Bauer made it in. Our friend Billy Wagner, 
came literally three votes short, and he has one year left to get in. Now, I think next year will be his year. If not, that'd be an unbelievable travesty. Nevertheless, it is unfortunate to see him fall just a bit short here in 2024. Now, the three who got in, each of them has a case for and against, except for Adrian Beltre. Beltre was a hands-down Hall of Famer, 3,000-plus hits, 470-plus home runs, one of the greatest third basemen in baseball history by far. He played a lot of games, played in a long career, but he was dominant for a long time. Played on a number of different teams uh, near the end of his career, primarily with Texas. Also had a good year in Boston. And he is by far a Hall of Famer. There's no doubt about it. In fact, I believe he was actually listed on 95% of the ballots. I saw people say on Twitter, too, people are sometimes just don't get it. Uh, people were saying, well, he should be unanimous. You know what? You know what I say to that? Babe Ruth wasn't unanimous. Not kidding. Go look at the results. Cy Young wasn't unanimous. Walter Johnson wasn't unanimous. There were people at that time who voted against them. So stop with the whole unanimous talk. Who cares if they're not unanimous? They got in. There was 5% of the voters who did not vote for Adrian Beltre. Does that mean they suck or they don't know what they're doing? No, it just means that was their opinion. We should really be going back and looking through past results and saying, how the hell do you not vote for Babe Ruth? How do you not vote for Mickey Mantle? How do you not vote for Mel Ott and Jimmy Fox and Cy Young and Walter Johnson? How do you leave those guys off your ballot? What about Mike Schmidt? I mean, all of these great players. Greg Maddox wasn't unanimous. <laughs> I mean, all of these guys. We're not unanimous. The guys I mentioned, the only one who was, the only one still, uh, was Mariano Rivera. And I believe, maybe Derek Jeter. And Jeter never won an MVP. And yet he was unanimous. And people got to stop with the whole criticism thing. But anyway, um, 477 home runs, 1,700 RBIs for Adrian Beltre, 3,100 hits. I mean, that's pretty much a no-brainer. I think almost everybody had him on the ballot, and certainly for good reason. Todd Helton is the... Other guy who got in, Helton's been waiting for a little bit to get in, and we now live in a world where Larry Walker and Todd Helton, two non-Hall of Famers, are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Todd Helton, good career. I don't have any issue with his numbers, but he really didn't ever achieve any milestones. 1,400 RBIs, 370 home runs, 2,500 hits. He played his whole career in Colorado. It actually blows my mind, and even for the sabermetric people who like war, his war was only 62. This is an unimpressive Hall of Famer. And good for Todd Helton for getting in. I don't don't mean this disrespectfully. It comes off that way. But this is an unworthy Hall of Famer. This is somebody who is a Hall of Very Good player who, for some reason, voters galvanized around him because people cried about it, and now he got in. Helton's case has gone up and up. He was only, he debuted at 16%, probably where he should have been. And now he gets into the Hall of Fame in 2024. I mean, I, I can't believe it. Bad move by the Baseball Writers Association of America. We live in a world where Todd Helton gets in and Billy Wagner gets three votes short. I mean, it's all subjective. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. But They got this one wrong again this year. So now we live in a world where Todd Helton and Larry Walker are Hall of Famers. I mean, you might as well let everybody in. Seriously. I mean, what are we waiting on then? 
there are Hall of Very Good players. Why is Paul Canerco not in? And that's actually a fair question. So you're going to sit here and put in the all-time Rocky, the guy who played for the Rockies his whole career, Todd Helton. Paul Canerco blows away Todd Helton in every statistical category. He is a beloved White Sox figure, and yet he fell off on the first ballot. Right? So, see, now we go back to other players, and we see discrepancies and inadequacies, and we're sitting here celebrating somebody else. And he did all this, Helton, in Colorado. Paul Canerco had 430 home runs, and he's not even near the Hall of Fame. This guy hits 370, and we got to put him in. Why? Because he's an all-time Rocky? What a freaking joke. I mean, come on. Oh, my goodness. And then the other guy who got in, Joe Maurer. Joe Maurer is a good player. He was, for a time, an elite player. But even Joe Maurer, you know, they put him in because he's a catcher, but he played first base for the last five years of his career and DH. So, you know, all of his numbers, they say, well, he's one of the best hitting catchers in history. Well, that's true if you count him as a catcher. (laughs) But he played first base in DH for the last five years of his career. And, in fact, he's only played above 150 games once in his entire career in a season. And that was the year he played first base. So again, discrepancies, inconsistencies, inadequacies, and yet we all turn the other cheek and turn the blind eye and let them all get in. So I got a I got an issue with that. I really do. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's right. Frankly, I think it's a joke. Maybe I'm the only one who gets heated up about this or gets pissed off about it, but You know, they're tarnishing the history of the game by letting people in who shouldn't be in. And I want to say this, too. This has been happening for years. Like, Phil Rizzuto should not be in the Hall of Fame. Herb Pennick should not be in the Hall of Fame. There are guys in there today from the 30s and the 40s, 50s, 60s, on and on and on, who should not be there. So it's not just this electorate who's getting it wrong. But this electorate, for some reason, is feeling like more and more people should get in for no reason. Scott Rowland's in the Hall of Fame. I I mean, did anybody... I mean, when you watched Scott Rowland play, did did you think, yeah, this guy's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the all-time greats at third base. He is the worst third baseman in the Hall of Fame. And Todd Helton might be one of the worst first basemen in the Hall of Fame. Based on numbers and based on what he did, where he did it, yeah, there's a huge asterisk next to his name. And then Joe Maurer... If Joe Maurer finished his career playing catcher and put up the numbers that he did, I could see a case why. I wouldn't even support it, but I could see a case why. He won an MVP. He won three batting titles as a catcher. That's pretty impressive. But he played catcher for only half his career. The last five years, as of course the position had a wear and tear on him, put him at first base. Next, they're going to put Buster Posey in the Hall of Fame, which they probably will. And meanwhile, guys like Billy Wagner, who actually deserve it, Billy Wagner's top 10, top 5 all-time in saves and was dominant forever. His ERA plus is 60 points higher than Trevor Hoffman, and yet he's waiting until the 10th to try to get in. Somebody like him. In addition to, by the way, other guys who came close and didn't make it, I don't agree with all these players, but like, for example, Jimmy Rollins got 15% of the vote. Jimmy Rollins is an all-time great middle infielder. There's no doubt about it. MVP winner, World Series winner, legendary baseball player. He's getting 15%, but we're letting Todd Helton in. Mark Burley got 8% of the vote. He gets to stay on the ballot. 5% is the minimum to stay on. Mark Burley was a very good pitcher. 
Do I think he should get in? I, I don't know. But you know what? He's getting only 8%. We got people at the top who are just as similar in production getting more. This is a weak ballot anyway, though. I mean, I'll look down the list. I'll name them off for you real quick. Gary Sheffield, by the way, fell off the ballot. He did not get in. Gary Sheffield finishes at 64%. He fell short. He will go to the Veterans Committee. My guess is he'll never get into the Hall of Fame. And you know what? I mean, he had 500 home runs. Now, I know there were the steroid stuff. That's the thing that bothers me about it. But at this point, I mean, you're letting Todd Helton and not Gary Sheffield? Who was a more generational? Who was a more respected player? How many kids imitate Gary Sheffield's batting stats? That should say enough about his impact on the game and his numbers. Chase Utley, oh boy, wait till he gets in. And it's coming, I'm telling you people, it's coming. This was only Utley's first year, 28%. All the sabermetricians are going to get into a room and put out a big press release and public relations spin, and he's going to be in the Hall of Fame in five years. Mark my words now, he shouldn't be there. Manny Ramirez and A-Rod were quite short. Carlos Beltran had a big boost, and Andrew Jones, another big boost, too. No disrespect to Andrew Jones, but he only had 1,900 hits. I mean, he didn't even have 2,000 hits. And Andrew Jones, after he left Atlanta, famously sputtered out. Signed that big deal in L.A., hit 158 in 81 games. And the Dodgers literally were so stunned at his regression, they just cut him loose. And now he gets to be on the Hall of Fame ballot and might end up getting in. I just don't understand how some of these voters vote. You know, it's been a lifelong dream of mine to have a Hall of Fame vote. I never will because I'm never going to be a, you know, a quote-unquote qualified writer. But if I did, I'd clean that place up. I'd clean that place up in a second. My ballots would be so different from the norm, people would get pissed off, and I wouldn't care. And there's, you know, there, there was one guy who submitted a blank ballot this year. You know what? I support it. I do. Why not? Who on this list is elite besides Adrian Beltre? Really, who on this list is like way up there, slam dunk? Yes, I know. Billy Wagner, in my opinion, but others don't even feel that way. I'm just saying. Some people just submitted only Adrian Beltre ballots. You know what? I don't blame them. And actually, I appreciate that approach more than I got to fill up my ballot with 10 people. I saw writers tweet out. They said, uh, you know, I only got 10 spots, but I could have picked 15 on this list. 15? Who's getting in? Who are you picking? <laughs> I mean, you might as well just check up all the boxes. Yeah, let's let Jose Reyes and James Shields and Matt Holliday and Bartolo Colon get in. I mean, come on, David Wright. I, my goodness. Ooh, these guys drive me crazy. Nevertheless, those are your three who get in. Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, and Joe Mauer. They're in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And that will do it for us here on Sports Talk Chicago. I appreciate everybody tuning in. What a great, fun, and electric, high-energy show here today. Thank you to all of our great affiliates. Our new one, 98.3 The Life, WKN, 105.5 The Ticket, HGTV, Jan TV, WJOB, and Cities 92.9 Talk FM. Big thank you to John Meadows, directing and producing to all of you. Follow us at Sports Talk Chicago. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the like button. Make sure you stay with us. Stay part of the conversation moving forward. Appreciate you. Until next time, so long from STC.